Mini episode 1317 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini-episode 1317. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris with you. And we have with us here today one of our favorite recurring guests, great friend of the show. We always have him on to talk different things football. Uh, in this case, it'll be college football. Uh, he's been our go-to guy for college football uh, for years now. I speak, of course, of good friend Fran Stuckberry of Our Sports Central, uh, a very distinguished, I would say, dignitary in the world of uh, viewing football. Uh, there's nobody I know who watches more football than this guy. There, there might be some some guys I know who are in the same vicinity, but nobody watches more football tape at all levels uh, than does Fran, and anybody that's checked out any of our past segments knows that for a fact. So we always do, if nothing else during the year, we'll always do a college football preview and then a preview of the bowl season. So this year it ended up being, in this odd COVID year, a preview of the Big Ten and Pac-12 but the other conferences had already been underway. So for this year only, we called it our uh, preseason slash midseason analysis. So there's less time than usual between that show and our bowl preview, and the bowls have actually already started. It started the day after the selection show. We're taping this just barely into the bowl time period. So we're going to talk about the bowls here. We'll talk about some of the quote-unquote other bowl games during the season here, and obviously we're going to look at the college football playoff and the national championship game, all that, and much, much more, as they say. Welcome back to the show, a good friend of the show and of mine, Fran Stuckberry. Fran, always a pleasure, my man. Great to have you joining us here today to talk some gridiron. I'm happy to be here, Rick. Uh, I guess the deep of the season, of college season, they, they got for the season. They got, they're getting their TV money from ESPN. Exactly. And I have to say, when we went to record this, and I say the same thing about the NFL, but probably even more so with college football, I am surprised they've made it this far because, again, you know if there was a fatality with any of the players, that would have shut it down at this point. There was, in college basketball something that was very unfortunate that I think they've subsequently traced back to COVID. Deontay Johnson, the great player for the University of Florida, who appears, as of the time we're taping this today, to have suffered heart inflammation in the wake of a COVID attack. But uh, we haven't seen anything that severe that we've known of in college football, hence they've been able to get through. So like I said, I say this for the NFL, but more so for college. We've had disruptions, Fran, but to me, the big shock is how much has not been disrupted. How do you see it? Well, I mean, I mean, besides games getting canceled, they got to the season 
necessarily say that admiringly because there have been a lot of weird choices that have been made back and forth over a period of time. But again, we were looking at a landscape start when you started to get into late summer of where there might not be any college football. My conference, my alma mater, Ohio University, my conference, the Mid-American Conference, looked like they started the dominoes falling, uh, saying they weren't going to play in the fall, ended up coming back and getting in some of the usual action, even if it was a little bit delayed. But uh, again, Fran, this is a thing where it's played out, and I think just disruptions, yes, but uh, I, I would you know, certainly say under the bar of expectations that I had in terms of disruptions, and yet one of the things is for one year only, hopefully one year only, we end up in this circumstance where it's a wildly disparate situation in terms of games played. You have some teams playing significantly more than other uh, uh, teams played because of whether it be COVID outbreaks that canceled games, shorter conference schedules, etc., etc. So when you're looking and you're weighing the teams, and we'll talk about this a little bit later as far as relates to the playoff, it's a landscape where in a normal college season, it's unusual to see a team that played one or two games more than other teams, much less in some instances twice the number of games as other teams. Yeah, and then that's, that's the case that happened with these, with these teams. Some teams played six, like Ohio State. Other teams are playing 13, like uh, Georgia Southern right now, in the normal bowl. Yeah, it's remarkable. It's, uh, it, it's the kind of thing where, again, we hope it's one year only. As with so many things 2020, we hope we'll ever see anything like this ever again, and yet uh, the season has materialized the way that it has, and before we get into any of the stuff with the bowl games, let's talk a little bit of, uh, I know Hot Stove League is generally associated with uh, Major League Baseball, but let's apply it to college football. The coaching carousel has gone round and round in its usual fashion here, and uh, you have situations where on your Gridiron Access Facebook page, which by the way, I recommend everybody check that out, go and follow that page on Facebook, Gridiron Access, because uh, you do such a great job of rounding up the news. I remember commenting on it when uh, Arizona fired Gus Malzahn, and I said, you know, what more do you think you're going to get? This guy beat Nick Saban a couple of times with inferior players, because nobody really recruits on the level of Alabama slash Clemson slash Ohio State. And Gus Malzone, like so many coaches in recent history in the SEC, fired for not being Nick Saban. That was, I thought, the most notable of the moves there that had happened. Plus, luring away the Boise State coach to go there. Well, the thing is, it looks like the Brian Harden, Auburn's hoping that they can win the Auburn with finesse with that with that wide open offense because they're not going to beat by with, with, with Bernie against the best players. They figure they can maybe they can win, beat them a couple times. You know, the wide open offense with finesse scoring fifty points like um, in, in the game to beat them in, in games. Maybe that is what they're thinking, yeah, and uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say, and look, maybe it'll be successful despite what I think, but uh, I, I just look at it like, how did you think you were going to do any better than the record that that guy put up? But uh, this is the time of year where it, it ends up being chain reactions in terms of 
coaches being hired and fired, and now Boise okay, State. Kentucky, Rick, with the that's not really, you know, you know, good spending wise. Exactly. Yeah, and in a time like this, how do you do it? I mean, obviously, it didn't stop South Carolina from earlier on saying that they were done with Will Muskamp. Which, uh, how can you argue with that decision? But uh, again, the chain reaction now. Boise State's going to have to go hire a head coach. Whoever they pluck away from another school will then go have to hire a head coach, et cetera, et cetera. Notable among these is that despite speculation uh, around the time of the Ohio State Michigan game that never was, uh, thoughts that uh, Jim Harbaugh might not survive the year, turns out maybe that canceling that game might have been the thing that got him through another year. And there are already people pointing ahead and saying, oh, look, Michigan might be more dangerous in the year 2021, and they'll be doing it without Don Brown on defense because he has just gotten fired as defensive coordinator. But uh, th- that's also the story this time of year as well, is teams that think about firing a coach and don't. And uh, Gus Melzone had been at that point a couple times with Auburn in the past and survived, but he didn't survive this one. Jim Harbaugh surviving what was his first real fright at Michigan. They haven't been happy for years, uh, but this is the first time it ever really seemed to come that close. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, with this uh, COVID world, it's only been a handful of firearms. Usually there's like double or triple the amount uh, every every normal season. Right, and uh, so there's, there's still... Uh, again, as we said, a little bit of hot stove league action, but uh, maybe not as much as uh, generally speaking. Uh, I, I was joking with you off air about the situation with uh, Terry Bowden going to uh, Louisiana Monroe and uh, about how uh, Auburn has, or, uh, not Auburn, Akron, I was, I was looking back further in his history, but Akron is sort of the graveyard of coaches, much like Jerry Faust before him. Terry Bowden, not successful in rehabilitating his reputation just down the road from where I live in Akron, and uh, goes there now. And uh, again, he's, he's still got that 13-0 and on his resume, and he'll take that to his grave. It's a hell of an accomplishment, but, uh, you know, it, it bought him a job at ULM for whatever that's worth. Yeah, I mean, so it's not because you know, Brett Bioma with the Hawaii, you know, he's known for being there in Wisconsin at Boston. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the funny thing is that if you look at the hierarchy of things, and uh, Arkansas has been uh, rehabilitated uh, pretty much in the last year or so, but generally speaking, over the course of the last 20 years, I'd say that Wisconsin, which has at least won its division a couple of times, would be regarded as a step up over Arkansas. So Bieloma took a step down to go there, and now uh, after getting run out of there, I'd say a parallel move at best going to Illinois. So, but that's that's the thing too. And Illinois brought in some name guys in the past, uh, Lovey Smith uh, in basketball. Uh, my guy John Gross from Ohio University. It didn't work out in, in these instances here. We'll see if it will be any different with him. As far as the uh, the college bowl schedule itself, just looking through the quote unquote other bowls. Of course, everything getting underway with the Myrtle Beach Bowl this past Monday. App State rolling in that game. And uh, from there, a lot of the usual bowls push back a little bit later than they generally are. The New Orleans Bowl, I know, is generally the first Saturday of the bowl season. But that would have been Saturday, which was championship uh, Saturday, which 
Also had a bunch of other games. Again, 2020 is a weird year for all of these things. So these games are heading through, of course, past January 1st to January 2nd, where you have a couple of the traditional January 1 Bowls, the Gator Bowl and the Outback Bowl, taking place uh, on the next day. Uh, you do have the Citrus Bowl still on January 1st. Those games, respectively, are Auburn, Northwestern, and the Citrus Bowl. That one should be really good. Uh, North Carolina State, your Wolfpack against the Kentucky Wildcats. That ought to be excellent as well in the Gator Bowl January 2nd and the Outback Bowl. Uh, Ole Miss against Indiana, an Indiana team that I think is going to be fired up, uh, getting looked over for, uh, passed over for any of the uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, some other interesting games along the way here as well. I, I would single out the Cheez-It Bowl on December 29th in Orlando, Oklahoma State, and Miami. I think that one's going to be pretty good. The Cure Bowl also in Orlando. And uh, that is on the 26th, the uh, Liberty Flames against number 12, Coastal Carolina. So a couple of uh, smaller schools uh, matching up in that one. And other interesting games as well. It, it's funny that the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors not getting to play in a Hawaii Bowl because there ain't one this year. But instead on December 24th, it's the uh, from Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas. They will be playing Houston. That ought to be at least moderately interesting. So... Up and down the lineup, uh, as is the case usually, uh, Fran, there are some interesting games among the quote-unquote other bowls. Well, there are actually matches. There's actually a few regular. You plug the schools now that decide not to play a bowl game. For example, you want to use the actual championship. So instead of putting the outside on and playing a bowl game, if they won that game, there's no way they would have walked away from yeah, I mean, they'd have been in a New Year's Six Bowl. I don't think they'd have made the national semifinals. But, uh, yeah, no, you're right about that. And the other thing is, too, and you and I had talked about this off air a little bit as well, with, with South Carolina canceling out from their bowl game because of COVID, that was a thing, too, where, you know, when you win two games, and I understand that there are powerful financial motives here, but the teams that are going to bowl games with some of these records, uh, I mean, and I know I said that Arkansas had done a decent job of turning around their, their program, but this was still a disappointing year for them. They're 3-7. and seven. They're going to be playing in the Texas Bowl. Mississippi State, 3-7. and seven. They're playing in the Armed Forces Bowl. I don't know how some of these schools look themselves in the mirror uh, playing in some of these games with these records here. I, I don't think South Carolina should have been in position to disrupt somebody else's bowl game in the first place. They didn't earn it. Well, it's not, it's not necessarily disrupt because, you know, uh, like the SEC had always bowl contract. Plus, frankly, a lot of schools didn't want to play in the first place. I get these schools, the SEC schools credit for wanting to play and perform. Because a lot of Rutgers, Rich Young was pushing the head coach. Oh, I'm not going to go play in a bowl game. It's too much of a strain on the, on the, uh, on the season for the kids. But the first year coach, you want them want to play on a bowl game, get national TV, to get the exposure. So I, I applaud these schools that are playing these bowl games. Rick, um, the bowls get the TV attended much less if, if, if some of these schools decide not to play. Absolutely. And in, in looking to see here on the listings here, I mean, just about all of the bowls, as is generally the case, are on ESPN. Uh, you have... Uh, uh, a, a different one this year on CBS. You have uh, the Arizona Bowl on there, just uh, not too far away from the usual one that CBS has, the Sun Bowl, which is one of the casualties 
of this year. Uh, so a couple on ABC. So the point being, as you say, not just national television, but we're not even talking NFL Network like some of these games sometimes are. These are all, or, or ESPN too, not there, there's probably much difference in distribution between that and ESPN. But all of these games on national TV in the overwhelming majority of households in America. So they are turning down that kind of exposure when they don't play that much is true. Uh, any other thoughts about any of the bowl games, uh, past or present, uh, on the uh, quote-unquote other bowl games leading up to the New Year's Six? Well, what I, what I like is the, I like the Arizona Bowl on New Year's Eve with, uh, with, uh, with Bowl State and TLC because they both won, they both won, they won both the conference champion games. And also that Liberty Bowl on New Year's Eve, Army, you know, getting that spot uh, against West Virginia. Army is 9-2. They won the Commander Chiefs Trophy. They want that tenth victory. If they were practically begging when they when they lost their their bowl business or the play in any game, I and I get that to a point because they're spending our country. They want that. They want to give those kids one last moment before they have to go out and defend the country. Right? Yeah, and uh, I'm glad for the kids that they're going to get to do that, and uh, that is a, a heartwarming story, as you say. So. You have these games, the quote-unquote other bowl games, as I keep calling them, but I don't know what else to call them because there is a big separator, of course, between that and the New Year's Six games. Before we get into talking about the New Year's Six games, let's talk about how teams ended up here as opposed to potentially in the national semifinals, the Rose Bowl, if you still want to call it that, at Jerry World, and the Sugar Bowl because you have a situation where Let's just start here. I think it's relatively clear-cut on teams 1, 2, and 3 in the playoffs, and that's exactly the order I would have put them in. 1, Alabama, 2, Clemson, 3, Ohio State. The irony is, I actually think Clemson's the best team, but I think you had to put them number 2. Basically, the Alabama defense is the reason I think Clemson is better. Clemson's a more complete team. I think you have to put Clemson 2, even though... And, and we saw a gigantic asterisk, basically, on their loss to Notre Dame when you saw what happened when they had Trevor Lawrence back in there, recovered from COVID. But nevertheless, they lost the game. You can't bump Alabama down from number one because they beat everybody that was in front of them. As far as Ohio State at number three, I think it's a lot of sour grapes by a lot of people. And I'm not just saying that because my dad's an alum and I do root for them when they're not playing my alma mater. But I honestly think, objectively, Ohio State had to be in there because, again, you, you look at the beatdown they put on Michigan State under pretty adverse circumstances, missing a good chunk of their offensive line, good chunk of their team. Ryan Day is out. No big deal. Larry Johnson comes in, and they just absolutely beat the crap out of Michigan State. They beat everybody that was in front of them. Yes, not always in the most uh, you know, impressive fashion, but I think Ohio State had to be number three. So... I agree with the committee on those first three. Do you differ from where they came down on those three? Oh, I, I definitely agree with them. We did not want uh, a Clemson, a Clemson uh, matchup the third time. Right. Yeah, and here's the thing, Fran, is that there wasn't, I don't think they wanted a rubber match even before what happened in the ACC championship game. Now, had that been a close game, like the one up in South Bend, maybe, just maybe, they might have been tempted, but there's no way there was going to be a rematch after what happened there. And there's no way, quite frankly, that Notre Dame deserved to be ranked ahead of Ohio State based on what happened. And you look at this here, and I thought to myself, all oh, you were looking at a circumstance where 
because I thought Clemson would beat Notre Dame, but I thought Notre Dame would keep it close. I assumed that we were looking at a circumstance where Notre Dame would be the four seed, and I would agree with that. I'm afraid I don't agree with it based on the way it went. I didn't see that magnitude of a beatdown coming. And I look at the other teams in the mix here, and I know that uh, Texas A&M thinks it should be them, but they they got squashed pretty bad by Alabama. I don't think there's any reason to think things would be any better there. And you look at some of the contenders potentially for that spot, I would not normally say this, but I am going to say this this year. I think Luke Fickle and Cincinnati, I would have put them in the number four spot. I'm not saying that they're going to be competitive with Alabama, I like, but like I said, I don't think these other teams are as well. But 9-0, and the American Conference for one that's outside the Power Five is pretty competitive. You know, you stack it up top to bottom with, you know, say the, the Pac-12 some years, and you may not find that big of a difference. I wouldn't normally put Cincinnati in that spot, but the circumstances of this year, I would. I'd have Cincinnati four. Well, you know what I think was Rick? If there wasn't a couple cancellations this year, I would have gotten more, you know, plus the past couple weeks. They had to cancel to the COVID, so they could have, they could have, you know, they kept on dropping in the rankings. So if those games took place, they would have not been exposed and they would have moved up and they would have had a stronger case to get to the group, to the top four. But the bottom line is this, but it seems like those couple of times that they're ever going to get that consideration. Well, yeah, and I think that the discouragement that's setting among the non-Power 5 conferences is along the lines of the realization that if it wasn't going to happen this year, it will never happen. Cincinnati or anybody else is never going to make it into that spot. I will say, living in the state of Ohio, it would have been funny to see it happen because Ohio State fans, they have a real condescending little brother type attitude towards everybody else in the state. And there's so many Ohio State people that would have been pissed if Cincinnati was in because how dare they crowd into Ohio State spotlight. So it would have been funny just to kind of see the resentment from anybody uh, that, uh, and again, if you think I'm making it up about Buckeye fans, that's it's true of a big portion of, of the uh, the fan base, that they don't want anybody else in this state getting covered except for the Buckeyes. But uh, instead, Cincinnati will be headed to what should be a very interesting Peach Bowl in Atlanta uh, for uh, the, the uh, on uh, January 1. That will be the lead into the national semifinals. On December 30th, the Cotton Bowl Classic. It is Oklahoma and Florida. I think this might be the best non-playoff game that we see. Certainly better than either of the semifinals, I'll say that. Six and seven, Oklahoma and Florida State. On January 2nd, in the Fiesta Bowl, you have uh, Oregon v. Iowa State. Uh, A really, really interesting one. Uh, I I think that is the spot, the, the, the Iowa State spot is the one that I think a lot of the Indiana fans were probably looking at and thinking, why not us? But uh, Iowa State did at least make it to their conference championship game in the Big 12. In the Orange Bowl on January 2nd, it is number 5 Texas A&M against number 13 North Carolina. Uh, from a coaching standpoint, two former national champions here, Jimbo Fisher and Mac Brown, that should be really interesting. So the four non-playoff games out of the New Year's Six, uh, they do have some, some interesting matchups and certainly nothing that I would say is a real dog on paper. 
It might very well be. It wouldn't surprise me if it was. And you look at, uh, again, let's swing around to the national semifinals, and it's kind of funny here because I had said to my dad, just in kind of evaluating this, that uh, the way it goes, of course, in college basketball with the national semifinals is you know that the committee's working hand-in-hand with CBS, right? It's always the game up front. If, if, if there's a game that's deemed to be less competitive, or I guess you could go by the point spread, right? Whatever game's got the bigger point spread is always going to go off at 610. And the one that goes off at 840 is always going to be the one that is supposed to be the better game. And I was chuckling. I said to my dad, uh, figuring that it was going to be Clemson and Ohio State in the one game, and even before we knew it was going to be Notre Dame against Alabama, whoever Alabama played, you knew it wasn't going to be that competitive, at least on paper after what happened to Notre Dame. And I said, boy, I bet the committee is wishing they could do that. But Alabama, you know, they're, they're, they're locked into the Sugar Bowl because it's closer to campus. That's the way it goes. Boom, all of a sudden the game gets played at Jerry World. And because you have a situation where the state of Texas is more lax than other states in terms of the number of spectators, Alabama can have more fans at the game. Hence, that's the one that they deem to be more favorable to Alabama. Never mind the fact that they get the what will probably be the better game going on second. The committee will try to tell you with a straight face. That's why you're getting the game with the bigger point spread first. Uh, I think a lot of us would be crying BS on this. I would say Ohio State and Clemson, all things being equal in the Rose Bowl, would be just unbelievable. But if they're not playing it in Pasadena, I, I don't even know how you can still call it the Rose Bowl. I know that during World War II, they, what, they played a game on the East Coast somewhere, so it's not like it's never happened before. But uh, you're, you're looking at a game, Alabama-Notre Dame in the opener at 4 o'clock on uh, New Year's Day, that uh, according to the point spread, uh, doesn't look to be that competitive you got to like Notre Dame's chances of putting up points based on the way that Alabama's defense has played. So this could be a shootout, but this could be like a 58-37 kind of a shootout, you know, because I'm not sure Notre Dame can stop Alabama at all based on what Clemson did to them. Based on what Clemson did to Notre Dame, I think Alabama's going to roll all over them. It's going to be a high-score game. I mean, I think Notre Dame can score two or three touchdowns, but I think Alabama, the way they're playing offensively, plus Notre Dame, if yeah, yeah, again, I don't, and I, I didn't expect to be in this position. I didn't expect to be in the position of saying I don't think Notre Dame should be in there because I didn't think they were going to get turfed the way that they did by Clemson. I, I thought that the, the, the strength of their overall record even after losing to Clemson in the ACC championship game, which I anticipated, I thought they would still be strong enough in there. Do you have a strong kind of sense, friend, for who you would have put in the four spot uh, as opposed to Notre Dame? Well, it's kind of very tough because if you put A&M in there, then people would have said, we're going to want A&M Alabama rematch. Right.
It does. And if I was a Cincinnati fan or alum, that's the thing that would make me the most cynical, is that the name brand of Notre Dame uh, is the thing that is arguing for their inclusion over everything else. Because, again, Oklahoma, man, if only they hadn't lost that second game. But, uh, you know, they were not good early on before they turned it on later in the season. Again, A&M, people, uh, all, all their, their Homer fans love pointing to their resume and all their wins in conference. But, uh, again, the way that they got beat down by Alabama, uh, they didn't earn a rematch with Alabama. So, something... And, and also, and also I, I, I really have no acceptance. First of all, the United independent. They decided to play... The only reason they play, they play 10 games is because they couldn't play an independent team. So, if that's the case, join the HC with all sports. And just, just share your money. They basically used the ACC this year. They did. Yeah, they really did. And it was it was interesting for people who ever wondered, well, what would it be like to see Notre Dame play in a conference? I mean, you know, 2020 has taken away far more from all of us than it's given us, but it, it's given us a chance to see what would happen in that hypothetical of what would Notre Dame look like in a conference, which, ironically, in every other sport, they are in the ACC. Uh, in football, it was generally just the loose affiliation where in recent years they would play, I think, at least five games in conference. Five. Five. Yeah. And so basically they went all the way with it this year. And uh, you can't say it didn't pay off because it got them to the playoff game uh, merely by making the ACC uh, championship game. It got them there. So, yeah, so neither one of us is holding our breath expecting much in that game. In the late game, uh, it's a situation where we haven't seen the best of Ohio State yet. And this is one of these things, and it's, it's kind of funny listening to Ryan Day talk because he is sort of giving off these premonitions. He wasn't there at the time, of course. or for, it, it, It's really remarkable, his rise, by the way, as a guy who I think had just joined the Ohio State staff in 2018 to uh, be the interim coach for uh, a couple games that year and full-time coach in 2019. So Ryan Day wasn't there in 2014, but he was sort of giving me 2014 vibes talking about this team, uh, you know, along the lines of like, we haven't seen the best of this team yet. They have a chance to do something really special, be really special. Ezekiel Elliott, of course, had already asserted himself before that run, that three-game run, very memorable in 2014, the Big Ten Championship, and then the two playoff games. Trey Sermon had not. We really haven't seen much from that kid. Hadn't gotten an opportunity to see much of him, but uh, boy, oh boy. And if anything, he was underfed in the Big Ten championship game. If anything, and the announcers were saying that they should have gone to him earlier. So looking at the Ohio State side of the coin first here, this is one of these things where I think they are deservedly the underdogs. But they're an incredibly talented team. That's one of the reasons they're here. The committee looked at the recruiting, the number of four- and five-star players that they have versus Clemson. At least on paper, they should be competitive with Clemson up and down the line. And you, you can't say that we haven't seen the best of Clemson or at least close to it. We probably haven't seen it from Ohio State, perhaps outside of the Michigan State game. So that could cut either way. This Ohio State team is either going to go down as one that, that looks to be a cut slightly below where they've been in recent years, or maybe the best of recent teams. I think this game is going to have a lot to say about that, because to me it's the tougher test. I mean, it's definitely going to be a fun It's definitely the better of two games. You feel Ohio State has a little bit of an advantage because they play less games than Clemson has. They might be a little more fresher. Just a little bit in that aspect, but that does not matter. 
Well, it might matter. And that's one of the, again, unique things about 2020 is that most years, same number of games. So now this year, in these special circumstances, we're left to ponder uh, if it's an advantage or a disadvantage. And I think you could look at a team like Clemson and say, well, they've had more time to kind of get their things together and get into a rhythm. But I would tend to agree, being fresher is better. Being hit less is better. And I think Ohio State has an advantage in that way. In the end, do I think it's going to be enough? I don't, because I think Clemson's the most complete team out there. I think they showed it against Notre Dame. And uh, again, Ohio State is capable, and I'm going to be sitting there and probably watching with my dad and with my dad and holding my breath. And there are definitely scenarios where Ohio State can get it done. And by the way, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this after the game if it doesn't go Ohio State's way. Urban Meyer was 0-2 against Clemson. It was the only part of his tenure at Ohio State that you could call unsuccessful. Ryan Day, if Ohio State loses this game, will be 0-2 against Clemson and undefeated against everybody else that the Buckeyes have played. So with what would be four losses since, I think, 2015, you're looking at a circumstance where Clemson would officially be the millstone around Ohio State's neck if they can win this game, and a chance for Clemson to really separate themselves against Ohio State. Uh, because, like I said, in terms of recruiting, the conversation always every year in whatever order is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. I don't think it's an overstatement, Fran, to say that this is Ohio State may still recruit on the same level as the other two, but from here on in, I think Alabama and Clemson are going to be the only two teams people are thinking about unless Ohio State can win this game. And if Ohio State wins this game, by the way, I think they can win the national championship. I think they can beat Alabama. Uh, but, uh, you know, this game is of vital importance to Ohio State. But also I'd say for Clemson and Dabo Sweeney because, you know, if he beats Ohio State, he's 4-0 and against them, and he's really kind of relegated them in the national mind. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think it's going to be a close game, but I definitely get the Penny Clemson is the more complete team compared to Ohio State. From, from, the, from, the, from, the, from the games they played, from, you know, from going through a, a, a complete season. You know, Ohio State, you know, they played a couple games, and they lost a couple weeks, and they played a couple games, and then they, uh, you know, they, they didn't show up for the first half against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship, but then they just won, you know, they played better in the second half, and they they had they basically have come and gone with you. Because in the end, they you know they um, they were ahead for a lot, and you know in the end, they closed it in that game. They haven't they haven't played that many complete games. Right, and uh, that that's the question. I think that's one of the biggest questions of the playoff. Maybe the biggest one is what happens when and if we see the best of Ohio State. Is the best of Ohio State enough to take down Clemson? I think it is, uh, unless Clemson comes at its best, in which case, uh, does Ohio State being a better rested team, does that flip the advantage to them? It, it, it's close to a coin flip if both teams are at their best, but I certainly lean towards Clemson in this game, and then let's walk it through like we do every time we do this of our hypothetical national championship, the two teams we're expecting to see here, and uh, what has already become... Uh, one of the greatest big stage rivalries in the history of college football. Maybe the greatest, because remember, you go back to when it used to be just the mythical national championship back in the day with the AP and the UPI, and everybody used to be locked into their conference games. 
you'd never get, for example, Alabama against Nebraska or USC in a national championship game. Uh, if the stars were perfectly in alignment, I know the one year, what was it, 81 or 82, I think it was 82, Penn State, Alabama, if the stars would be in alignment, you might get that. And then when it got into the 90s, uh, they had the, the, the BCS stuff, Bowl Alliance, the different incarnations of trying to make it happen. This might be the biggest, you know, high-level, championship-level rivalry in the history of college football, that this would be the fifth time that they've met on a big stage in the last couple of years. And uh, last time out, it was a little bit of a surprise to some people, myself included, when Clemson was able to even it up in these games against Alabama 2-2. So this was the rubber match in terms of when you're looking at either semifinals or championship playoff games. We got a break from it last year, of course, because LSU was in the uh, the BCS instead, or not the BCS, the, uh, the playoff. They were sort of taking Alabama's place, if you will, in the hierarchy, and they beat Clemson in the championship game. And I think you and I called it you know, correctly on all three games last year, including having uh, LSU go over Clemson in the championship game. We'll see if we agree this year. I think we will, because my sense is that if Clemson and Alabama make it to the national championship game, which will be on January 11th from Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, that uh, I would go with Clemson in that game uh, to win the national championship game and uh, make up for losing it a year ago. How would you see it coming in such a hypothetical game, uh, Fran? In a hypothetical game, I think Clemson is good. I think Trevor Lawrence wants to go out as a champion. I, 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 if, if Alabama beats them, uh, he'll probably he'll probably believe anyway. I want to suggest that topic of this game, but uh, I just think that... Uh, I think Clemson, I think the way Clemson has played, I mean, I mean, Alabama hasn't really been punched in the gut yet. If Clemson can get can punched in the gut and get out to the lead, then they may crumble a little bit. Yeah, and to me there's something, too. I go back a couple of years ago, and we've seen it materialize a few times, Deshaun Watson at Clemson winning a national championship game on his way out. A year ago, Joe Burrow at LSU winning a national championship on his way out. And again, you're looking at two quarterbacks that will be going in the first round this year, but Trevor Lawrence is the far and away lock to be number one in the draft. You could say it's a chance for Mac Jones to go out as a national champion, and you wouldn't be wrong about that. But anytime you have the quarterback who is that much more spotlighted in his last game, yes, Trevor Lawrence didn't win the national championship last year, but I think more of the focus was on Joe Burrow and LSU as a team of destiny, essentially more or less playing on their home field. I keep coming back to that, that it feels like it would be Trevor Lawrence's moment as far as how he goes out as one of the greatest college football players of all time. And in recent years, when we've seen quarterbacks in this position, they have delivered. Yeah, and I think I definitely think he will deliver if they get to the championship. Also, I'm doing Maybe there'll be like four or five thousand people at the game with COVID restrictions. I mean, they're only filling three thousand fans. If you had that Super Bowl, that's going to be kind of like a. I guess it just pros the cons there. With less with no fans attendance. I mean, but for a national championship, that's not going to matter. Yeah, and there's there's going to be a decent smatter, and quite frankly, it'll be a little, little bit of a preview of what the Super Bowl is going to be like. Because the Super Bowl is going to be up the road in Tampa, and so you're dealing with the same state 
rules vis-a-vis -vis that. State of Florida, basically, which, you know, seems to be, you know, to borrow a name from an old ECW pay-per-view, Anarchy Rules, I don't think they even have restrictions on uh, stadiums at this point. Uh, that, But the, the NCAA and the pro teams in that state have been more responsible than the state, basically, and have sort of put their own restrictions in place. So you won't be looking at a full Miami Gardens. There's no way that that happens, but there will be more than a smattering of fans in there, uh, as there have been for games this year across college football and in the NFL. But yeah, it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be different. But again, just the fact we made it to the finish line here, Fran, and we're not there yet, right? Famous last words on my part, but making it to this point is quite frankly beyond what I thought was going to happen. So we'll see what plays out the rest of the way. We're not there yet, and like you say, uh, we're shocked if some of bowl games get canceled or postponed, or even the semifinals get moved if there's a COVID outbreak, because that's the NCAA Central would do that. Yes, and uh, you know it's already, as we alluded to, happened as far as the Rose Bowl being moved from Pasadena to Jerry World. So that is, uh, is something that uh, transpired as a direct result of this. And uh, again, the state of California not letting fans... Uh, into stadiums, and that was a little bit of a bugaboo right there. But uh, the NCAA stepping in is kind of rescheduling, or I guess it was the college football playoff, I guess I should say, that uh, mediated the decision to put the Rose Bowl in the Dallas area. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a fitting cap off to a 2020 season that uh, we will never forget, and God willing, the likes of which we will never experience again. And uh, again, uh, a pleasure breaking it down with you, Fran, uh, as I knew it would be. Thank you so much for your expertise, my man. Thanks, Greg. I'm, I'm happy to be here, and hopefully when we do our college football uh, preview podcast next year, we'll have a hundred capacities at a couple of games. Yes, yes. I look forward to the world returning to normal. I think we all do. I think we all deserve it. And uh, it can't happen soon enough. But, of course, that will be dictated by the facts on the ground, how quickly the vaccine gets rolled out on a massive level, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, yeah, God willing, the next time you and I are talking college football, things are, quote, unquote, back to normal. But for right now, we're dealing with the world the way that it is, heading into a college football playoff and bowl season, the likes of which we never thought we would see. And uh, for these purposes, there's only one man you could do it with, the great Fran Stuckberry, our friend from our Sports Central. We thank you again, Fran, and thank you, everybody, for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1317.